So today I come to you as your pastor in the hopes that God will use this time that we have and it would be good for your soul. This whole series is Restore and today we're gonna be talking about restoring your soul. So there's a part of me that I'm hoping that you come out of here feeling like, of course we've been together, but there's something also that God can uniquely do in my life for each one of you. And I'm praying that God would speak to each one of you and that you would be encouraged, that you would literally feel like you're taking a grace bath today while we're together. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Psalm 22. Now, some of you have a Bible and you don't even know it. It's on your smartphone. Now, if you haven't, if you haven't downloaded the app, download version. It's a great one. And you can pick the ESV version if you want to. And if you also uh, maybe don't have your Bible right with you, there are Bibles in the uh, racks in front of you. You can pick those as well. We're going to be in Psalm 22. We're going to read both the first couple of verses of Psalm 22 and then a few verses from Psalm 23. In Psalm 22, David feels as if God is unresponsive. And in Psalm 23, David feels that he is being shepherded uh, by an ever-attentive God. In Psalm 22, you see David's soul is, is really restless and in agony. And in Psalm 23, you realize that he feels restored to a trust-fueled rest in the good shepherd. Verse 1 in Psalm 22. All of these verses are probably familiar to you. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Then we go to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And then we're going to skip over. I want to read one verse from the New Testament first. Peter chapter 5, verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Father, we need that today. Lord, we need your restoration. We need your confirmation. We need your strength. We need your establishment in our lives, all of us. Lord, we have this in common, that you created us in your image. 
And yet, Lord, we live in a fallen world. We lo- Lord, we live in the midst of a war. And Father, we pray that your word would prevail today. Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit to be with every person here. Father, I ask you to give your gift of faith to each person here, that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, draw all men and women to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Michelangelo was a very famous painter. He was a famous sculptor and an architect. And in 1508, he was commissioned by the Catholic Church to paint the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. And so over those years when he painted, it was quite a labor. You can see the scale and the scope of the chapel ceiling where he created smaller paintings within the whole ceiling. Here you see one of the most famous creation where he uses imagery of God touching Adam and giving him life. A very famous chapel and on its uh, dedication, it was unbelievable to people to see the Bible in these images. It was vibrant and beautiful, but it didn't take long for the smoke from the candles and from a building that was built in the 1500s to, for that soot to grow. And over, even over a period of the first few years, these paintings became covered in such a way that the, the vivid nature of the paint, it all just sorta got cloudy. And as the decades went along, it got worse and worse to the point where people almost ignored the ceiling because it was sort of this bland color. And you can imagine over 400, 500 years, it kept getting worse. But in 1979, a group of scientists came to the Catholic church and said, we can fix that. Now, a lot of people We're not happy about the possibility of the restoration. But they gave them a tiny little corner in the corner of one of these paintings. And the scientist said, just give us a few inches and we will show you what we're talking about. And they do it and they show them what they did. And they're like, wow, you really think you can do it? Yes, we can do it. So in 1984, a bunch of guys started working, knowing what they were doing. And they start cleaning up the Sistine Chapel and they restore it completely. And in 1989, they had a rededication of this ceiling. And people were like, wow, we've never seen that before. That's amazing. The brilliance, the vibrancy, that is amazing. It had been all these decades. In fact, centuries since people had seen what it was meant to be. In the same way, for many of us, life has a way of filming over your life. Sin has a way of coming into your life and you hardly seem recognizable. 
from what you want to be or who you used to be. All of us want to be returned to innocence. And so many of us, we want our lives, our very souls, to be restored. And so we see in these two Psalms, Psalm 22 and Psalm 23, really in beautiful providence and mercy, that these two different Psalms are placed right next to each other. And it's no accident that 22 is before 23. That the words of 22 give this picture that if you're old enough, you experience these kinds of things in life. The agonizing, uh, the things in life that really bring you down. And if you live long enough and you trust in the Lord, you see the restoration and the peace and the protection that God can bring you and your soul. There's in a deeper beauty and mercy to these two passages. And that is they are messianic in their nature. In other words, they are a foreshadowing. They are a viewing into the future from David's time of the, the messianic hope that we find in Jesus. You see, all of us have a nephesh. Nephesh is the Hebrew word for soul. We've been given this life, Imago Dei. We were created in the image. We spent the last five weeks talking about what we were created for. We were given this nephesh, this soul, this life that God gives. And that's found about 756 times in, in, in the Bible. And this word means to be a living being. To, passion is another interpretation, uh, appetite or emotion. And this is why I, every once in a while, you'll hear me talk about the soulishness of life. Each one of us are a person, a life God created. There's something unique. The Greek word is suka. And that is that God gave us life. And so for us, we need to recognize that God is the one who gives us this soul. And that he is the one who can restore that soul. The word restore is used 1,060 times in the Old Testament. That word really means to, uh, it's a movement back to the point of departure. It's a return to innocence. Uh, we find in Hosea chapter 14, verse four, these words. It says, I will, hear their, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely for my anger is turned away from him. This is the Lord speaking. And he, those, that word, I will heal, I will restore their backsliding. That word is used so many times. It's used in many different ways. It's used in the, uh, for the term reviving or transforming or converting. Or uh, in this case for Hosea, it's healing. And you know, the one who wrote these Psalms, Psalm 22 and 23, was David. And we know for him, on occasion, he would slide backwards. And when he did, his soul was plunged into distress. All you have to do is find, read Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. And you see him crying out to God. 
And this word hints at the damage that sin can do to the soul. It's acknowledging. We, we might express to the psyche, the emotions of one's mental state of well-being. In this regard, we cannot but think, but think about words like, for example, worry or guilt or regret or sadness or unrest or frustration or fear that overcome us when our soul needs to be restored. Have you ever had thoughts like this? This could be a thought that you might have. There's, there's too many wounds or uh, there's too much damage. This can't be restored. It's just the way it is. It's impossible to get past the hurt. So how refreshing is it when we read in John chapter 10, in the 11th verse, we can see the hope, the hope when Jesus says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then in 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Jesus is the good shepherd, the one who can restore your soul. So how does that how does that come into our life? Well, in Psalm 19:7, we read, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. I want to encourage you today that a generous application of God's word, knowing that God's word is, is speaking to us, helping us to restore our soul. So I want to talk to you in the time I have remaining. I want to talk to you about the seven steps of restoration in your life. So I want to encourage you. This can be true in any part of your life, including your marriage. Uh, many years ago, I heard a man uh, speaking on behalf of family about restoration. And these seven things are true. They're also true of you as an individual if you need restoration in your life. And so here we go. The first step in restoring our soul is this. You have to commit to change. Commit to change. I pray that you would have the courage to do that. God desires that we would stop blaming other people for our own problems and start looking at our attitudes, our outlooks, our beliefs, and our behavior. And, and really look at how we need to make the change. About 2016, I heard somebody say this. When you find yourself in a hole, stop digging. That's a very true statement. When you realize that there needs to be restoration in your life, stop and commit to change. Commit that you will change. Do you need to make some changes in your life? Are you ready to stop trying to change other people and change how you respond and react to them instead? Here's step two. And I pray you would have the courage to do this today. Oh, you have to overcome some obstacles in your life. To change, we must identify and analyze the attitudes, the outlooks, 
uh, and even the people, the beliefs, and the behaviors that are obstacles in our life. There are things in my life that I have needed to eliminate. Some of that includes negative people. Sometimes it's negative places in my life that I have had to overcome to change my life. I know that I talk about this from time to time, but it's kind of an an elephant in the room for me. 17 years ago, I was diagnosed with diabetes. I needed to make some changes or I was not going to live to be 45 years old. And so I uh, immediately committed to some changes. First thing, commit. Commit to some changes. But I had some obstacles. Candy, donuts, chips, fries, I mean, you name it. Candy bars, they ain't nobody that loves a Reese's peanut butter cup blizzard from Dairy Queen more than me. I'll take a large, please. I had to overcome the obstacle to say, I will never eat that again. And somebody like, eh, that's a little hyperbolic. It's crazy. <clears throat> I had to decide whether I was going to be around for my wife and my kids or not. So I had to overcome some obstacles in my life. Here's some questions. Do you need to remove yourself from any people or places or things that hinder your progress in the restoration of your soul? Here's the third thing. I pray you'll have the courage to do this too. Uncover the truth. Uncover your real self. Whether we realize it or not, many of us suffer from an identity crisis. We've spent many years listening, maybe to the world, maybe glazing into a phone and other people telling us what we ought to be. What other people say about us, we've forgotten who we truly are. And it's critical that we take inventory of our identity and dispel any lies that have been made. This is what Jim Collins in the book, Good to Great, it's a great business book, by the way, calls the brutal facts. Are you willing to really identify the brutal facts in your life of the things that you need to uncover the truth in your life? I mean, here's just an example. I had to recognize in my life that I, I, I believe some lies like, for example, I'm not good enough. I'm not capable. I'm not worthy of the life that God desires for me to live. So I needed to uncover in my life the truth about myself by memorizing passages that tell me about who God really is. I mean, there's a constantly as a pastor, I will tell you, there are a lot of times where I'm like, man, I'm not good enough for this. I'm not smart enough. I, 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 don't, I don't do very well at this. There's some times where I'm not sharp enough. You know, and I, sometimes I, I get to thinking, and I just, when I do that, I have to be able to uncover the truth. Not my truth, but God's truth. I put a list of God's truth underneath this point, right under step three. You see that list? That'd be a good list for you to know about what God says about you. Psalm 139, John 1, Romans 6. That one, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone 
is in Christ. He is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. That's good to know. Because you have to uncover the truth. This is the step four, this obvious next step. After you uncover the truth, and you have to do, you have to replace worldly lies with scriptural truth. If you want to restore your soul, you've got to replace all the stuff that you've been talk, telling yourself, or maybe even other people have told you about you. Like, for example, you're stupid. You'll never amount to anything. You've got to figure that out. You have got to really uncover the truth of what God says, and then you got to replace all those lies with God's truth and what he says. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God in your life and take every thought captive to obey Christ. One of the great, fr- listen to me, one of the great frustrations for a teacher a teacher who loves to build into kids is when a child comes to school and they have been beaten down and told they are nothing. And they are on the clock for six and a half hours to try to tell them they are special and uniquely made. That is a very difficult challenge. That may be the challenge of your life. Maybe other people have told you some lies Are there worldly lies you believe that hinder your ability to change and to heal and to restore? Are you distracted by all the world has to offer and say, it's time for you to make God and his word first and foremost in your life? And that leads to step five. Step five is, and I hope you have the courage to do it, accept the things you cannot change. There's a part of me that at this point I wanted to yell, and I'm trying not to yell, get all worked up. Here we are, folks. Here we are. Here's where we are. I mean, look, all the things that have happened in your life and in my life. And you may look back at decisions. You may be looking back at history. You may be looking back and saying, oh, I took a left where I should have taken a right. You may say all that, but here we are. Now what? Now what are we going to do? Are we going to continue just to do the same thing we've always done? Are we just going to continue to just act and think the same things we've always acted? I want to challenge you today. You've got to accept the things that you cannot change in your life now. And you've got to, inside of all this, there are some things that maybe your experiences it's you've got, are you experiencing a decision, when you think about decisions and other things in your life, things in your past that, that, you, that are holding you back? And I would encourage you today, today, make the best, of, the rest of your life, the best of your life. Say, well, that's the way it was up to now, and I know a lot of decisions have been made, but here we are. Now, I want God to restore my life. I don't have to continue this way. God's words for me, and that's an obvious next step, and I pray you'll have the courage to grab a hold of God's love for you. 
that you will cling, that you will hold, that you will grab onto with passion. God's love for us is so great and really hard for me to articulate. There's no way I could ever do it better than the Bible does it. I put a list of scriptural truths under step six for you to know so that you would look at God's word and know about God's love for you. God gave his only son over to be beaten and abused and crucified to pay for my sin and your sin. And his plan, in the former days, he used prophets and everything, but now he is speaking to you through his son, Jesus, the great shepherd who gave his life, the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. Grab a hold of God's love for you. Do you genuinely grab a hold of this truth in your life? Do you make it a bedrock, a foundational part of your life that you build upon every day? Make this bedrock to you and cling to that. And this last step seven is something that I am learning as I get older that is so central to my life. And that is this. Everything is by grace. Everything. Embrace a life of grace. Embrace it. Listen, folks, it's not only important for you to embrace grace because it is by grace we have been saved through faith, not by works, lest anybody be bragging in here. We are saved by grace. Now listen to me. If you got that by grace, you better be a grace giver. We need that in our life to live a life where a soul stays restored in its original, in the original vibrance. I pray today, those are the seven steps that you'll commit to change, overcome your obstacles, uncover the truth, replace worldly lies with scriptural truth, accept the things you cannot change, grab a hold, grasp God's love for you, realize that everything is by grace. I pray that you would have C-O-U-R-A-G-E, courage. I hope that you will have the courage to step out into restoration. That you would know that you were made in the image of God. And that this life has a way of fading our souls to the point. And sin has a way of doing things in our life that just change. It's smoke. It's bland. We need restoration. I pray you would have the courage to make that change, to embrace healing for my soul and other areas of my life. Be strong and courageous and allow God to do a complete restoration on your life. Because the good news is today, and I wrote it, I want you to see it on the screen. The good news is, is that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died for our sins and rose again eternally triumphant over all his enemies so that there is no condemnation 
for those who believe, but only everlasting joy. That's the good news for every person here. What is the good news? Men and women are really loved by God. That God really loves you. And that sins, listen, are really forgiven. And that the mercy of God beyond all comprehension has come to drive out forever the bitterness of selfish hearts and fill it instead with the sweetness of his presence forever, the great shepherd. So today, would you have the courage to turn the page and to be restored? I want you to bow your head right now. Maybe it is today that you're here and you have, there's a couple of groups. One is maybe you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, the great shepherd. You need to do that today. I want to invite you today, right now, to pray with me this prayer. Right where you're sitting, knowing that Jesus is the good shepherd, he gave his life for you. Pray this prayer with me. Lord, I need you. Forgive me for my sin. Come into my life. Not only forgive me, but restore me, Lord. I need your restoration. Thank you for creating me and also for forgiving me. Come into my life. Help me, Lord. Lead me. Be the new boss of my life. Thank you for your forgiveness and thank you for the free gift of eternal.